Welcome, everybody, to the new sports order. He is Sterling Pingree. That makes me Tom Corbett. We are. But you said I could be Tom Corbett. Yeah, I don't think you're quite ready. You're not great. You don't have enough. Not ready. You don't have enough gray hair. Surprisingly, and you can't say this about very many people, but you have too much hair to play Tom (laughs) Corbett. This whole bit was totally worth it now because, yeah, you're right. I I don't get uh, that said about really anybody. I I don't win that comparison a lot. And uh, you're not quite tan enough. You don't have that seven days a week on the golf course tan, at least from sleeves down and shorts down. No, I try to make up for it on like the two days a week I get out there. But uh, yeah, I cannot compete in that one. So, Which is funny. I had to, came in the other day from work and I'm walking around or whatever. And TJ comes up to me and he grabs my arm and he goes, Dad, why are you so much darker than us? <laughs> well, son, have you met the mower yet? Yeah, I'm like, Daddy's outside every day. And then I just All lift day. up my sleeve, and I'm like, see? <laughs> We're the same color there. <laughs> that, uh, that, that farmer's tan that uh, separates us. The Mason-Dixon of my arm. So we have, I think, officially, especially after you get by, like, July 1st, you have the rush of NBA free agency, which was... A pretty mundane. Is that a rush? <laughs> well, it depends on the year. This year was, I think, fairly anticlimactic. Not a whole lot of exciting things, especially that I don't think there were a lot of swerves that people didn't see coming. Grant Williams just signed and traded to Dallas Mavericks about an hour ago or two hours ago. So not a lot going on. I mean, the big one is Damian Lillard, right? Like, that's Lillard and or Harden is, like, the domino that everyone's waiting to fall. And and Lillard kind of moves the needle for me. James Harden. Harden, I I don't care. It's when you switch teams every 18 months. When you demand a trade on three straight teams over three and a half seasons. Sure. Like, oh, he's going to go to the Clippers. I was like, wait, hasn't he been there four times? It's just. Lather, rinse, repeat, flirt with an MVP, fail in the playoffs, have a weird exit, get fat, don't get fat. I don't care. I think the Lillard thing will be, I'm intrigued by it because you have Portland kind of in that spot where everyone's like, hey, Lillard did so much for you. And, you know, people say you got to, you know, try to get him to where he wants to go because he was such a great soldier and he always wanted to stay. But in the same token, you can't, I mean, you rarely ever trade a superstar like, oh, a dollar for a dollar. But you can't take 30 cents on the dollar to send him to Miami because that's where he wants to go. And be like, hey, we got Tyler Hero and a couple first-round picks five years from now for a team that usually doesn't stink, so they're not going to be great picks just because he wants to go there. So I'm very intrigued kind of how it ends up working out. 
I'm intrigued unless he goes to Miami, and then I'm decidedly less intrigued because it's certainly worse for our Boston Celtics that even though they've lost, who they lose? Vincent? Gabe Vincent uh, they, lost. and Struess. It is those two. Vincent and Struess. So, the so they've lost a couple of pieces. They'd have to give up a couple to get Lillard, but I mean, what it boils down to is is Lillard and Butler and whatever pieces they can hold on to. Out of bio. Yeah, I mean, if they can kind of build around those three, I mean, Jaime Hawkes is going to end up good. Like, Jaime Hawkes is a good basketball player. He already has a dunk that's making the rounds in this Which you know, I would summer think league. If, if it ends up Miami, of course, they have to wait 30 days. He just signed his contract, I think, in the last week. So they have to wait 30 days at least before they can trade him. And I would assume if that trade happens, they're going to, Go for him. They're going to want him in there. Jovich, probably. They're rookie from last year. I don't want to talk about the NBA. Like, it's just like even, even what's now interesting, which is Lillard, is still just kind of bumming me out. Like, if he goes to my, if he goes somewhere else, it's like, oh, wow, he ended up in Minnesota. All right, well, let's teach their own, but. You, you kind of move past it. You go to Miami. It's like, well, let's say they're creating a super team down there, but they're not not creating a super team down there because whenever a team goes to the NBA Finals and then loses and adds a whatever top ten player in the league, we've seen this script before. Yep, worked out well for Golden State. It did, and that's what this kind of feels like is Durant joining Golden State. It's like, wait, 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 wait. So you just won more regular season games than anybody in NBA history. You blew a lead in the finals to LeBron, and now you have to go get the, what, second best player at that point in the league. Yeah. It's like going hunting for gray squirrels with a bazooka on your shoulder. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to get done, but it's overkill. And that player also turned into the best player in the league once he went to the team. It's Outdueled LeBron how, in the finals twice. It's amazing how your ability goes up when you're also playing with like two other all-star MVP caliber players and a great coach and a loaded team and a great bench. I mean, the, the, the rich get richer is not just a, a fun saying. Well, let's move on. Uh, this week's column, you were hitting the all-star game for Major League Baseball, which the big thing kind of coming out of the announced rosters, I thought this year was so many guys in for the first year or the second year, not a lot of guys that have been there a lot. Clayton Kershaw was kind of the elder statesman. Now he's out of the game. You got a couple that have been there a few times, but seems like kind of a real kick in the pants to quote unquote changing of the guard. It does feel like it. I mean, the fact that you have four Texas Rangers in the starting lineup, and, and that's not, again, a fair indication. And I feel like I've written this column like each of the last three years. I'm terrified to look back to see that I've probably written almost exactly word for word why you know, the Red Sox not having that many all-stars is a an indication of where they are nationally and in terms of their, their relevancy. 
know, Roman Reigns talks about the island of relevancy. You know, if the All-Star game is the platform for relevancy, the Red Sox are barely clinging to the edge. And they're Put it this way. If Major League Baseball is Michael Rubin's white party on July 4th, the Red Sox aren't getting an invite. And if they are, like one guy's getting an invite and he doesn't even get a plus one. Because that's where they are right now. When your closer is your only all-star representative, I was talking to my dad yesterday, and he goes, I thought every team got an all-star. I'm like, well, we have Kenley Jensen. He goes, well, no, we should have a position player. Like, we get a closer? Like, what, he's going to he's gonna pitch two outs? That's your only all-star? That's kind of yeah. where they are. I mean, the, the closest are Verdugo, Devers. You know, for a while, it looked like Yoshida probably had a shot there when he was hitting, you know, like, 325 with a little bit of power. He's fallen off a little bit. But the fact that... Not only did they not have a position player, they only have Kenley Jensen named to the roster. And then Judge gets hurt. Jordan Alvarez is hurt. And they've already named the two alternates for them. And it, it, it makes sense. When I heard that it was Wander Franco and, and Julio Rodriguez, I go, well, duh. They're two of the best young players in baseball under the age of I mean, whatever. Franco's like 21 still. And Rodriguez is, I don't know, what, 22? You, know, you kind of emerged last year as a force. And it's in Seattle. Like both of those guys make, even as a Red Sox apologist and a Rafael De- Devers fan, yeah, I, I totally get why you would take Franco and, and Rodriguez on this platform. God, when was the last time where we really just needed the mercy rule to get one player into the All Star game? Because you kind of had the Bogarts, Bogarts and JD for a little bit. Devers had his run. Wasn't there one season, and, and uh, I use it as an example in the column where, you know, there were years where the Red Sox, like Tim Wakefield had an all-star season, which you could argue he probably had a couple he should have made. It. Like Stephen Wright made an all-star team. One of the examples I use was that Brock Holt made an all-star team. I almost want to say that the year that Brock Holt made the all-star team, and we can maybe look this up, that the year Brock Holt made the all-star team, I think he was like the Red Sox only representative. If he wasn't the only one, he was one of two, and I think the other may have been like a you know, reliever or maybe it was a starting pitcher or something. But it was a situation where if he wasn't the only, he was almost. It wasn't one of those banner years where, oh, they have five all-stars, and Mitch Moreland made the roster. Good for him. Right now, we're just kind of in that, uh, can we get a closer on there if he's in you know, the top four in saves? That's kind of where this team falls right now. I'm looking it up as we uh, talk, because that was 2015. Yeah, that sounds right. Kind of one of those down in between World Series years. You know, I thought when Devers signed the 10-year deal, that kind of solidified his stature. He's made all-star teams. I figured, you know, he signs the contract. He becomes the de facto default representative. Every year you pencil him in, he's an all-star as long as his numbers are you know, some semblance of good, he's going to make it. If not voted in by the fans, he'll get added to the roster because he's the most visible batter in the lineup. And he still is. But there is this perception that, well, he's got a very down first half. He's got 20 homers and 66 RBIs. You extrapolate that for the full season, he's got 40 home runs and 136 RBIs. Take no that. one's going to be upset with that at the end of the year, even if he's hitting 256. You were right. He was the only Red Sox on the roster in 2015. So that was probably the last time. Probably. And, and I feel like th- there's been a few, I mean, but as a kid, I remember, I want to say it was 90, 
94? 93 or 94, but I think it was 94. The only all-star the Red Sox had was Scott Cooper. And he was, of course, like a, a backup. And I was like, wow, Scott Cooper. Awesome. You know, Mo Vaughn didn't make it, but Scott Cooper is an all-star. You know, it's one of those, when they pick it based off the position, not really who your best player is, that's what it does. And that's what this is, because the best player is still Rafael Devers. Verdugo is having his best season. You'd love to see that get rewarded. But it's Kenley Jensen because they need another relief pitcher. It's It becomes a numbers game. Yeah. When you have three, you have 75% of the Texas Rangers infield makes the all-star team, there's not a lot of room for everyone else. Now, that's not a sentence I ever thought I would say, but here we are. Whatever happened to Glenn Perkins? Whatever happened to any of the Minnesota pitchers from that era? I mean, there was <laughs> the, the Nick Blackburns and – the Glenn Perkins and Kevin Slowey and there's a Though lot they of them had two. They had, they had Perkins two. and uh, Dozier. Yeah, Brian Dozier. He was a good one for for a bit there. Um, ultimately, now, unfortunately, because of the injuries, so Judge is already out, Alvarez already out, they've already been replaced. So everyone kind of like slides over a chair. Now it looks like I mean Trout had. Surgery, he's going to be out, so you got to replace Trout. Uh, we don't know what the deal is with Otani, but he left the game last night after throwing. You know, he gives up back-to-back home runs and then throws a pitch in the dirt, and they pull him immediately. Don't know his status is for the game this weekend. So, you know, you lose two Angels. Do you add two Red Sox to replace him? You know, we saw Franco replace Judge, so it's not like, well, we lost an outfielder. We need to replace him with an outfielder. It's just kind of they're looking at the top players available. Do both get in? Probably not, but. I mean, you just lost four outfielders, so chances of Verdugo, I think, slipping on makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, you look at what they did. They they brought on Franco. They brought on Julio Rodriguez. It would make a lot of sense to have Rafael Devers on there, especially because you mentioned Tom. Look at the rosters. There are names I had to look up. Uh, Josh Jung from Texas. And he's a rookie, and you know he's made some noise. Red Sox playing them, obviously, right now for the first time this season, so I haven't really watched a lot of the Texas Rangers. I never heard of him. You know, like, I don't know who that is, the starting third baseman. I figured, all right, it's going to be it's Devers or Ramirez, and, and there's your two third basemen. So yeah, it's it does feel like a changing of the guard, which is odd because the last couple of years have felt like that changing of the guard already where you have the Vlads and – yeah, you know, the Bobachettes and you know, all these young stars emerging. Yeah, is uh, at least looks like on Twitter they're saying Otani Blister won't pitch in the All Star game. Okay, so he could probably still he'll still bat. I mean, if you're Major League Baseball, you want him to at least <laughs> at least hit once or twice and you know make make that spectacle if he can only do that. But yeah, so they had. In like less than twenty four hours, Mike Trout breaks his hammock bone. Out four to eight weeks, Otani leaves the game with a blister, and Rendon leaves the clubhouse on crutches with a bruised shin. Angels. Oh, it was. <laughs> it was funny because within hours, and Trout's already had surgery. Trout had surgery yeah. today, which may be. You have some kind of record, and you can almost see the desperation building in Anaheim, where they're like, "Look." We have at least an outside shot of making a wild card this year. If we're ever going to prove to Otani that we can be a winner, like this is our chance. We cannot have Mike Trout out eight weeks 
in this run up to the stretch run, but here they are. Here they are. No, that was <laughs> that's as bad a twenty four hours as a major league team could have. Thankfully, it's not worse for Otani. I would still pay him a billion dollars. That's that's the new tagline, Tom. Is you know, again, I w- with the blog that you mentioned, I not to say take a, like there's a call to action for the ownership. I'm not just raking them over the coals because the facts are the facts. They have one All Star. It's Kenley Jensen. He's been with the team for six months. What are you building? Like, what is the structure here? You're losing relevancy to the Texas Rangers, to the Tampa Rays, to the Baltimore Orioles, who are suddenly poised to become some sort of juggernaut because every month they bring up the next, you know, number one prospect in all of baseball. You're losing market share and relevancy. Go, you're the Boston Red Sox. Act like it and sign Shohei Otani to a billion dollars. Print the t-shirts. I mean, I saw an article in the last couple days that said, did Otani just have the best month in baseball history? (laughs) He, in June, 126 plate appearances, hit 394, led the league in on-base percentage, 492, slugged 952, 15 home runs, 29 RBIs, 25 extra base hits, 99 total bases, through 30 and a third innings, 3.26 ERA, 37 strikeouts. That's just bananas. Before you even get to the pitching numbers, that is laughable for statistics. 99 bases on the month. I mean, just every one of those is almost more preposterous than the other. Then you add in, oh, by the way, he's either an ace or a number two pitcher as well with huge strikeout numbers. Oh, by the way, it's nuts. I, this is like our, our weekly segment. Thank God for Shohei Otani that every week we just get a, uh, this week in Shohei Otani. Okay. Let me, uh, I, this might be an easy question for you. Maybe not. You are, uh, you're starting a team. You need to win. This year, do you take the dominant ace, Pedro Martinez, or do you take Shohei Otani, hitter and pitcher? I mean, it's without knowing the rest of your roster. I mean, because like we saw, I mean, the 99 Red Sox weren't a whole lot beyond Pedro Martinez. I mean, we had Nomar, who won the batting title and was really at his peak. But we saw the 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 ceiling for what look at the pitchers beyond Pedro Martinez in nineteen ninety nine. We're talking Brett Saberhagen, Kent Merker, Derek Lowe, Mark Portugal. I mean, it was bereft of talent beyond Pedro Martinez. And they snuck into the postseason as a wild card. They upset the Indians coming back from two oh. And then Pedro outdueled Roger Clemens in game three of the ALCS and they lost in five games to the Yankees. They weren't particularly close. El Duque was the MVP. Um, so we kind of know, like, if you have Pedro and the batting champion, that's your sin. But, I, again, if you then take that, because right now what Otani's doing, I saw yesterday he's first in the American League. So if you look at the Triple Crown, he's first in home runs. He is second in RBIs by, like, one to Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers who actually already hit a two run Homer tonight. So he just upped his lead to like four. 
And then Otani is also sixth in batting average. He's, I don't know, 15, 20 points behind in batting average. So there's a chance he could win the triple crown. But let's just say, like, Otani wins the batting title. So in 99, Pedro's the best pitcher on earth in one of the great pitching seasons we have ever seen in the history of Major League Baseball, which is not what Otani's doing right now. He's having a very, very good season with huge strikeout numbers. Like you said, as a, a starting solid, pitcher. like, top-of-the-line number two. You could win with him as your ace. Yeah. But but if he's your number two, you feel great going into a playoff with Shohei Otani being your number two starter. You feel outstanding. And, and he may dominate that night. He absolutely has it in him. So can you win with just a batting champion and an ace? And the 99 Red Sox, though, facing the 99 Yankees, which was you know the middle of that dynasty when they won three straight World Series, there is a ceiling for that. You can't just win with one pitcher alone. I mean, how many times have we seen great pitchers kind of landlocked? Pedro Martinez in Montreal won the Cy Young. And, I mean, no one remembers the 97 Florida Marlins, uh, the Montreal Expos. Everyone remembers the 97 Marlins. They won the World Series. So, did you answer the question? No, I beat around the point. Let's say dynasty (laughs) dynasty draft. You're drafting all new rosters. Across baseball, history, whatever. And let's just say those are your choices for your first pick. Otani or Pedro? I could have have 99 Pedro or 2023 Otani. God, it's hard not to... I can't believe I'm saying it's hard not to take Otani. Just because he can do both. I mean, to have one player be your number two starter or your your ace, plus... It's like having an extra first round pick. It, it, it is almost like a cheat code where you get two players instead of one. And that's not Pedro's fault. I mean, 99 Pedro is the greatest pitcher I've ever seen. Should have won the MVP. It still galls me to this day that Padre Rodriguez won that award. It absolutely kills me. Um, but, yeah, just the, the versatility, the, the being able to do more. All right. That was a good question. That is a good one. No, it, it, it's it's difficult because it is. It's it's the duality of of Otani. I think that'd be a good book title: the duality of Otani. Prime Jose Altuve or Nomar? Nomar. Yeah. I just hate Altuve. I can't stand Altuve. <laughs> There's just something visceral in watching Jose Altuve play baseball. Is yeah. G- give me give me the the 97 rookie of the year and the two batting titles, and I'll forget about the split longitudinal tendon and the cut above sports illustrated. Cover. That's what I, f- I feel so bad. Like the kids now have no idea. Like what a big deal. Nomar was like, no everybody idea. was doing the stupid batting glove routine. <laughs> Everyone to be like Nomar. And then everybody playing shortstop in gym class to high school the jump the, the, yeah. the jump throws was everyone run into their right yelling nomar as they jumped to their, farther to the right to try to make a throw across the field put it this way in high school like i hated as a right-handed hitter i hated two batting gloves i always hit with one batting glove uh but i will say uh my last two years junior senior year of high school in legion ball uh definitely had the uh louisville slugger tpx red white and black batting gloves and i wore two I didn't do all the adjustment, couldn't do that, but yeah, I definitely had those those batting gloves because I mean, one, they just they look sweet, but uh, yeah, you have you have to wear two. You couldn't just wear one of those. Probably wouldn't 
That routine wouldn't have been great for the uh, pitch clock pitch era. Pitch clock era? <laughs> I feel like they, invent, they would have invented it for Nomar. The, the stepping out, bat on the shoulder, staring it down. Uh, funny story. So I met Nomar in 1996. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to Mo Vaughn's hitting camp. It was in Portland, Maine. Probably the coolest thing like I ever did as a kid. My parents like surprised me. Like, oh, by the way, tomorrow we're going to Portland. And I think I was I was almost 11. They said, by the way, we're going to Mo Vaughn's hitting camp tomorrow. And I'd seen it like advertised in Die Hard, the Red Sox like monthly newspaper that we got. I seen it. I was like, what? What the hell is this? Mo Vaughn has a hitting camp. So we go, and Mo Vaughn's there. He's there for the first like two days. I don't think he was even there for for day three. But one of like the roving counselors was Nomar Garcia Parra. And he had come up in 96. I think he played 10 games or 20 games, hit a home run in Oakland. So, like, everyone was familiar with who Nomar was and knew he's the top prospect. Nomar walked around there for three days. I think he gave a lecture on day two. He, walking around or standing, was constantly tapping his toe like he did in the batter's box where, you know, he was tapping it down so his toes were at the front of his shoe all the time. He, he didn't stop just rolling around. He was always tapping it and people, everyone asked him and he goes, I, I just like the feeling of my toes touching the end of my shoe. They, they need to be touching like the toe of my shoe. We're like, Oh, this guy. Cause we, everyone sort of like had seen him hit and knew the batting glove thing and kind of his idiosyncrasies. We had no idea, but we, we definitely got a taste cause that was very legit. He was OCD before we knew what OCD was. In the next year, he was the, he was the rookie of the year, so we go. all had an eye for talent. Did anyone really call Mo Vaughn the hit dog? Is that a, is that a serious question? That is listening. Yeah, I don't, I didn't, I honestly did not remember the hit dog. Oh, Mo Vaughn was the hit dog, and my favorite. Uh, Maybe it's just of that because was, I always remembered Fred the Crime Dog McGriff. Crime dog, yep. But uh, no, so Mo Vaughn was the hit dog. And my favorite was if he like stole a base, which happened like he would steal like a handful. I think he had like 10 steals one year. Um, it was always like very situational, but he would like steal a bag here and there. And they're going, Oh, the speed dog. Or uh, if he made a pick at first base, cause he was a decent defensive first baseman, especially like on throws and whatnot. It was, Oh, the glove dog. Uh, the announcers love to just put whatever he just did. They would just put it in front of dog. Hmm. It was a good one. Yeah. It was a good one. But this way, here's here's how legit it was. When Pizza Hut did, do you remember Pizza Hut did the promotion where you could get like the foam baseball bat? Do you remember that at all? Like, no. Really. They had like it was like combos where it was like the bat and ball set, and you got the foam bat with the like uh, plastic hollow core, and it came with like the foam baseball and. Each baseball had like a pitcher's name on it, and each bat had a batter's name on it. So like the Griffey bat said junior. The Movon was was purple and orange and said hit dog in like huge letters. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, apparently I just missed out on that. I missed out on the hit dog. I was a I may have been a little too obsessed with Movon in like ninety five to well, until he went to Anaheim. So the, like those formative years. Yeah, I remember when he went his first year when he went to Anaheim, he was on the cover of the video game in an Angels yeah. uniform. And I was both, I have to get that game because Mo Vaughn's on it, but you're also like, oh, 
angels. Oh, it was so weird. And then you start your franchise and immediately trade for him <laughs> to come back. It's like, it's like, no, he really didn't leave. That, that was a weird couple of years because every year, I mean, so after 96, you lose Clemens. He comes back as a blue jay. I mean, just really the giant middle finger to Dan Duquette when he comes back and strikes out 16 his first game back. You know, and then Mo Vaughn leaves and comes back with the Angels. I mean, ugh. it was just so sad. God, there's there's a column for you. Saddest Red Sox returns. <laughs> Clemens, yeah. Vaughn, Mookie. Mookie's a tough one. Um, Nom- Nomar, remember how weird Nomar was? Yeah, because he got because it was a was midseason like- trade. But like the not first that they time played the Cubs. Well, that's it. No, I think the first time he was in like Oakland, because I think it may have even been the night that they retired Jim Rice's number, or it was the night they honored Jim Rice for making the Hall of Fame. Like it wasn't for a while that Nomar played in Boston. I want to say he was like it was towards the end. I think he was in Oakland when it happened. Maybe that was just another time when he did come back. But, yeah, it was real weird when Omar was back. I think I even have a blog about that from way back. I don't know if I could find that one. Mm. I definitely made the comparison to seeing an ex-girlfriend. Yeah, that was... Imagine that. That was the only, like, not weird, because, you know, 2004 was quite fantastic. Sure. But a little party was like, ah... Oh. Because we traded Nomar midseason, make the run. It's like, oh, Nomar still gets a ring, but it does it doesn't doesn't feel right. So I started a project tonight. Uh, usually, when I ride the exercise bike every night, I watch like old wrestling. Tonight, I decided, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try something different. I have the uh, the box set from the 2004 playoffs, which they don't include the divisional series against the Angels. I would love to watch those those three games again with the Red Sox swept the Angels, especially Chris Berman's home run on uh, home run call for Ortiz's walk off against the Angels in Game Three. But anyway, um, but it has the full Yankee series and of course the full World Series. Which, by the way, who the hell is watching games one through three of the 04 ALCS? So tonight I started with Game Four. And each night on the Naturally. on the exercise bike, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna just gonna cut some baseball, just 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 cut a few innings while I while I pedal. So uh, I started game four tonight, and boy, just seeing some of these guys again, I mean, you you realize like how how much you still remember. I mean, I mean, just seeing like El Duque pitching for the Yankees in 2004 against Derek Lowe, it was just like, oh yeah, this feels right. God. I really th- was. I loved Orlando Cabrera. He did oh, not stay so long. He, no, he was there for just post Nomar trade through the World Series and letting him walk. He made a play already uh, in watching Game Four tonight, where he just made a defensive play. It wasn't anything like he just he was just so smooth, cannon for an arm. Oh, he chopped down a runner at the plate in like the second inning. You know, one out, man at third, guy takes off. He just guns him effortlessly at home, and you're like, oh. You know, we had to go with Edgar Renteria instead of Orlando Cabrera. Like, if we just kept Cabrera, we'd have been fine for the next, like, six or seven, eight years. He was one of those terrible shortstops in baseball. No, 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 no. Go with Edgar Renteria and then just this 
briar patch of disappointing shortstops for the next, well, till Xander. And the other guy in that trade, Minkiewicz, caught the final out, and then wasn't there a huge hullabaloo with, like, baseball pretty much telling him to give yeah. them the ball? And he pretty much he told it. them he to it, F he off. in his back pocket. Yeah, yeah. He, he held on to it. And then remember, that was his last play as a member of the Boston Red Sox. He signed with the Mets. Mm-hmm. So there was there was this whole thing about like he wanted to keep the ball and uh, yeah, baseball wanted, wanted to give it, it to and... him like no just give it to the Hall of Fame for nothing. He's like yeah this is pretty valuable. F off. Yeah, I think that was the moment Red Sox fans were like, oh, "Okay, Minkavich. <laughs> we 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 learned how to spell your name. We're we're done with it. Like give the ball back." It is sad watching some of those back where you think of just the Red Sox really were. They were so up against it because they had so many guys about to hit free agency. Derek Lowe, uh, Jason Veritek, Pedro Martinez. Uh, feels like there's another one in there. Wasn't Trot Nix? They had another big name you know, coming up that year too. But in addition to all the guys that they added throughout that year that you know made that team what it was, the obviously Orlando Cabrera, you know, Doug Minkiewicz, Dave Roberts, just so many guys that they added for that one year that, boy, I mean, they really just loaded up for mm-hmm. one more run. It's fun. Sometimes, like, just for fun, I get a little downtime or whatever, and I got my phone, I'll pull up YouTube, and I'm like, Doug Mirabelli police escort into the state. <laughs> oh, the, was- the response the- for oh. Wakefield's catcher, who plays once every five days, and it was police escort, and he runs. He's running in to try to make it in time for the first start, and everyone just loses their mind. It's it's fun to watch. He got dressed in the back of an unmarked police car with the lights going. And, oh, by the way, that night was Johnny Damon's first game back at Fenway Park in 2006 after becoming a member of the Yankees. So, like, you had all of that going on. It, it's it's hard to explain. Like Tom, you will have the the chore of trying to explain to your kids how hyper relevant. I'm not just going to say baseball, but like the, how hyper relevant the Red Sox and the Yankees were. But I mean, even you could even just say the Red Sox that in 2000, I'll say three. Cause I think that's when it really started with, I'll, I'll always say that. Oh, three free agent class of Bill Miller, Kevin Millar, David Ortiz, uh, really just like flip the franchise around obviously the beginning of Theo Epstein and everything like that. But that 03 to, I mean, you could say like the end of Tito, but like maybe it's just the decade. Maybe it's like 03 to 13. Like how just hyper relevant the Red Sox were. That was probably baseball's last great run. You Yeah, you can make a great point of that. I mean, because since then, you know, like, no one is celebrating the dynastic San Francisco Giants. They won three World Series in five years. And outside of the Bay Area, like, no one's like, oh, my God, Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey and, you know, Lince to come. And, like, no one's really Barry championing. Well, almost in spite of Barry <laughs> That's actually a very interesting book. You talk about modern baseball. A uh, couple really good books, which it feels weird that they already have books, but then you read them and it, it feels like it's already a long time ago. Barry Zito has a book called Curveball, which is outstanding. And Rick and Keel actually had a, a super book about like just what happened to him as you know, a can't miss pitching prospect and then you know becomes an everyday major league player as an outfielder. But uh, just 
his story is a wild one. I mean, that book came out probably 2018, and Zdus came out I want to say like two or three years ago. But both excellent reads. All right. No one asked uh, for that. I'm just giving it. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Let's move. Let's get it moving. And a little different for our movie review for this week. It is not a movie that Sterling has not seen. It is a movie we both love from our childhood. And we teased it for months. And we're finally ready for the deep dive into Little Giants. So this is a movie I've seen. I was trying to think. So I didn't see this one in theaters. It came out in 1994. I didn't see it in theaters. But it was random, and I remember the day I, I bought it, but I bought it on VHS and then proceeded to just, like, wear the tape out. It came in one of those Disney, like, the big yeah. clamshell bookcase, you know, that was kind of reserved for, like, the Peter Pans and the Little Mermaids, but Little Giants got the same treatment. I think, if I recall this correctly, I think with the purchase of that, it came with four, like, pogs, milk caps. I remember you know, pogs. Like, you remember Pogs? Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, I think it came with like four. It was just like there was a Cowboys, a Giants, and I want to say like Dolphins and 49ers. Don't know. Don't hold me to that, but that's how I remember it. But absolutely wore the tape out. So this is, you're right, the opposite of I have never seen this. I've seen this movie legitimately a hundred times. But first time I've seen it in, in a little bit. Um, jumping right off the beginning. They do the they start the movie with a flashback, which I kind of like, where they you know like here's the beginning of the whole story. This will all make sense after this like four minute scene. The casting of the kid that's supposed to be Rick Moranis, and then the kid who's supposed to be Ed O'Neill, Danny and Kevin O'Shea, absolutely flawless. Great. Well like, done. You gl- you glance at them, you get the dynamic of the brothers. They both sort of not so much Ed O'Neill and and you know the young Kevin O'Shea. But like that, that's probably Rick Moranis's kid. Like it has to be something like that because that was just too spot on. I uh, they, for one, not I'm sure we'll get there, but God, absolutely love Rick Moranis. Completely underrated. I spent so much time as a kid watching this movie and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes. Also, shout out to one a little more obscure but fantastic, Strange Brew. Yeah, very good. You introduced me to that one in college. I definitely remember Strange Brew, uh, which was kind of weird seeing him not just doing like the Disney, you know, family feature film. You know, because that right. even when I saw like Ghostbusters, like a little bit later in life, I was like, oh, like Rick Moranis is in this, but like it was weird not seeing him. Just it was being, like it was kind like, of Wayne's father. World before Wayne's World. It was yeah, I could see that. In a way. Yeah. It was Canadian Wayne's World. Boom. <laughs> um, here's a question for you, Tom. During the tryout scene in the beginning, we see uh, the prototypical chubby kid, we'll say, uh, Zoltek. He gets hit by Icebox. Which, by the way, Icebox, um, a.k.a. Becky O'Shea, lays out a kid while they're literally just running sprints back and forth. The kid is also her friend, and she just absolutely spears him into oblivion. Totally okay. Kevin, uh, Uncle Kev. Practice hard. You got to practice hard. <laughs> nice pop, Icebox. Thanks, Uncle Kev. It's just, it's just totally fine with it. 
But what this reveals, and I want to ask you this question, they uh, they open the kid's helmet because at first you think there's blood on the kid's head. No, no, it's jam because he had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and Cheetos in his helmet, to which Kevin O'Shea says, you'll never get anywhere treating your helmet like a light lunchbox, son. He's like, what are those? And the assistant coach, whose name is Butts, by the way, just yep. Coach Butts. Are those crunchy or puffed? Puffed. And then Kevin O'Shea says, wimp. So what I want to know, Tom, is are Puff Cheetos really for wimps? No, because I think they're clearly better than crunchy. Think they're better? I kind of go back and forth. I tend to think crunchy are better, but I will never impugn puffed. Like Like if I want straight Cheeto flavor, I'm going puffed. Obviously, if, if you're going flaming hot Cheetos, those are crunchy and they're fantastic. Oh, I'm, cer- I'm, I'm certainly not. I know you're not, but if I am, I'm not. Or the El Fuego and all those things, love a good crunchy because it's got that flavor. If I'm just going regular Cheetos, I I like the puffed. I like the texture, and you get better cheese flavor. I agree. So every time I eat those, even now when when I eat the puffed. I put it into my mouth like they're a mouth guard, and then I crunch. Don't know why. Always done that. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it's unanimous. Puff, Puff Cheetos, not for wimps, but uh, Kevin said that. Um, Urbania, Ohio, the town that it set in, love that they said it in Ohio, just going kind of Midwest, felt very different from so many movies. No, I mean, I guess like, you know, Mighty Ducks, they picked like, okay, what, what prototypical right. Minnesota, like city. Minnesota, we're going to do Minneapolis. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll put it right there. Um, think of the other kids' movies like Sandlots in California, but it's like California Sunshine. And and you mentioned okay. you mentioned Mighty Ducks, and we talked about this before we hit record. This was kind of the era. We talked about with our action movies, the Die Hard on a Blank trend yeah. that started. Die Hard on a Mountain is Cliffhanger. Die Hard on a Bus is Speed. This was the era of... Mighty Ducks as blank sport, where I believe Mighty Ducks, and then you have Little Giants, which is Mighty Ducks playing football, ragtag kids, girl on the team, everything. The underrated one, which we talked about before, the Big Green, which was the soccer version of Mighty Ducks. And I think, once again, just America wasn't in a place where they could fully appreciate soccer yeah i'm st- i'm still not much like the uh the striker henchman on cliffhanger sure where they made him more evil by making him a uh a soccer player so much more evil so so here's the question with that analogy which i agree because th- those were both clearly kind of like okay disney has the formula here's how we're going to run it out but at the same time, you had three baseball movies come out, and Rookie of the Year was Disney? I don't remember. I can look it up. Uh, I almost don't think it – I can't remember. It might have been. but I, um, Sandlot, not a Disney movie. Neither, obviously, is a little big league because of Night Nurses from Jersey. Uh, baseball just got like – the baseball movies, they got very creative. Like, okay, we're going to have a kid pitch. We're going to have a kid be the manager. Or we're going to have just a bunch of kids that just love to play baseball. And yeah, they're ragtag, but at the same time, it's not like, I mean, obviously they weren't letting a 
a girl play in 1961 in California, 1962 in California. Um, so yeah, they kind of avoided that. Is it strange? And, and I'm not taking Air Bud as a suggestion. It's kind of strange that during that run, there was no like prototypical, there was no answer for basketball. Like, it, cause it would, it seems like it would have been so easy to do mighty ducks of basketball where the coach has to coach the kids that aren't very good. I feel like basketball, I think basketball is just a trickier one to film, especially with kids because it's, it's very hard to hide someone that can't actually play. Yeah, but see, with basketball. see, that's where I think you're. That's where I think you're. Like, it maybe you mask it with hockey because, I mean, shoot, that didn't need to be any of the kids actually on the ice because you put helmets on them, you just right. do close ups and whatnot. But it seems harder to portray hockey or even football, and I think that's why. Like, I looked it up. This movie cost twenty million dollars to make. It made like just under twenty million dollars at the box office. So it's sort of considered like at the time a bit of a flop, or at least not like a, a major success. I don't think. You know, Disney was that you know, excited with the outcome of the movie. Warner Brothers. But, well, but I, I think it was I think it was difficult at that time for like because I, I know it was at least initially for me like I didn't understand that much about football. I mean, I understood you run, you cross the goal line, helmets, pads, cleats. Like I wasn't that you know as as a whatever I was when this movie came out, eight or nine year old. I understand football. I wasn't watching NFL baseball. We'd all played t ball. Like I never played organized football in my life. But I didn't play hockey either, but I sort of understood knuckle putt goal. They also didn't use any rules in Mighty Ducks, but. True. Uh, yeah, Rookie of the Year was a 20th Century Fox. Okay. Movie. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, yeah, so they didn't really have a. Directed by movie. the great Daniel Stern. So good. He, he said, someday we're going to do just the, the Daniel Stern, like, career retrospective episode where we just go through, like, bushwhacked Home Alone 1 and 2. Rookie Celtic of the year. Pride. Celtic Pride. Celtic Pride make it is maybe we'll do that like when uh like the NBA season starts or something. We'll just do like the Celtic Pride, you know, deep dive. Um Little Giants I, uh, Urbania is like the coolest town. Like watching the movies as a kid, I wanted to live in Urbania. Like it's all like riding bikes and drugs. It it, it felt very much in a way like Did you say drugs? You know, the, no, the idyllic town that like uh that uh Sandlot was set in. Yeah, I mean, it just you know, kids riding around uh, on their go kart. Yeah, like like Danny O'Shea can race a Corvette with a go kart down Main Street and cut in front of the train, and he's just being a rascal. Like no one, no one's arrested. The cops are too busy using their loudspeaker to wish good luck to the the Pee Wee football players the next day. Also, I will say. Bad showing throughout the whole movie, for the most part, by Spike's dad. But to think that Kevin O'Shea is showing up in your yard at about five foot six, scrawny, wearing glasses, on a, a go on a go kart with a <laughs> raccoon tail on the antenna. Yeah, I'm the, Kevin. The, I'm Coach O'Shea. That was a point that I made as well. Going. Wait, wait, wait. So let's just say you buy the because because Danny has the apt you know, retort when he says you're a little small to be a football star, and he goes, "That's what they all say." Which Spike said kind of like half buys, 
Yeah, look over. The dude pulled up in your yard in a go-kart. Do you think, like, Mr. Heisman, like, and we don't know. It's never really alluded to. How successful like, his Packers career was. Yeah, was it the Packers? Did they? I believe even, it was the Packers, yes. Okay. Yeah, they, they never bring that up. Like, it's never. Big enough. Know, he goes. Big enough for the town to put on the water tower home of Kevin O'Shea. Well, but not only that, like he, he says, and I like kind of the way they did it, even with like Becky, like saying it right before he says it, when he gives the speech of like, you know, Urbania, my town, I brought us three high school championships two you know, national collegiate titles an all American title and a Heisman trophy. So you're like, okay, like, cause uh, that I also buy because if really Kevin O'Shea was in Canton, and he ended up having this legendary pro career with Dallas where he's supposed to be, which, by the way, we don't really know what position he played. seems like he was kind of a Paul Horning, kicker, flanker, running back, tailback. Don't really know. Um, like, he's not probably coming back to Urbanian coaching peewee. Well, he's Just got saying. his card. So I think they sort of, like, left enough meat on the bone so it's believable. I feel like he's he could have been, like, a Jason White. Who probably had all those accolades and then, you know, only had a cup of tea in the NFL and returned home as a Heisman winner and all those, you know, those things and started his own dealership. Sure. He's, he's, he's Eric Crouch. Jason know. White Chevrolet. Yeah. Troy Smith Buick. It's just named random Heisman winners in a car brand. I must say, and I was when we were kind of going through it, I'm like, ah, what's my favorite scene from the movie? And there's a bunch, but I feel like maybe at the top is the Cowboys come and they're messing with, you know, the kids picking on them. And you just hear the go-kart rev up (laughs) and they all look at each other and go, it's the ice box. And they take off. And you see Icebox chase down these kids who are on their bikes yep. with a go-kart and hit them with the go-kart, sending them flying into lakes, trees. <laughs> very aggressive. Very aggressive. Um, though, to be fair, they were being very safe because all three were wearing their Cowboys helmets. So just in case you forgot the scene four minutes ahead when those players made the the pop warner urbania cowboys they're wearing their their cowboys football helmets while they ride their bicycles that's just how much you know team spirit sean murphy briggs and uh i want to say peterson something like that the the one that uh, becky puts in a sleeper hold at the beginning of the movie um yeah kind of kind of bullies them but starts her own football team so much like when Fulton Reed joined the Mighty Ducks, so they have their moment where, hey, a kid just moved to town, which, by the way, Kevin O'Shea, shame on you, not knowing about Junior Floyd until your daughter Debbie's telling you about how cute he is, uh, not knowing that, like, yeah, he knows about Spike, but he did not know that Junior Floyd, who the son of Patty Floyd, your younger brother's crush, didn't know Patty Floyd was back in town. So Kevin, definitely not spend enough time down at the diner, which, by the way, a phenomenal looking diner. Like, that was the diner you go to every day for breakfast or lunch, maybe and, both. And clearly, Kevin O'Shea not doing grocery shopping for his household. Because he's no. not seeing Junior Floyd just throwing dimes with the toilet paper. 
he's squeezing the Charmin and dropping dimes with it down a shopping, which that may be not say my favorite scene, but that's a cool scene. And it felt very different of junior Floyd throwing toilet paper rolls into the shopping cart and screaming touchdown made Um, me as a kid want to chuck toilet paper in the grocery store. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. I I did a handoffs. I didn't, I was too scared to like throw it from a distance because as soon as I dropped back, like, both of my parents knew what I was doing. Like they knew I was trying to do the junior Floyd and dad said, no, 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 this is an option family. Like you, you, you hand that toilet paper off son. So that's, that's what I had to do. But junior Floyd, is he the most inspirational movie quarterback? I mean, like the most supportive of his teammates, this dude. So he goes into practice. He is throwing rifle shots at a kid in a cowboy hat with cap guns strapped to his hips and not coming within eight feet of catching these perfectly thrown balls, finally wedges one into Hot Hands Hanen's face mask and cheers like they just won Super Bowl eleven. And every, t- like every time in practice, Junior Floyd completed a pass, two hands over his head. I mean, he just did the full-on Dan Marino with a Tom Brady yell. Talk about just, just lifting the guys up, just trying to bring them up to another level. As Spike was driving them down, this, which aptly named, he's a spike. Junior Floyd just 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 lifting them all up, gassing them up at at this full service pumps at Danny O'Shea's Shell Station. Yeah, which is also one of the kind of the nitpicks is, uh, are they letting Spike stay in the game after he absolutely crushes his spine, like? Seven seconds after the play was already over, he spears like he spears him from behind. Junior, like I think I always kind of like overlook this. They make this comeback. They're done twenty-one nothing. No spoilers, but come on. Uh, junior d- sits out the whole second half. They're down twenty-one nothing, and Junior skips the whole second half, and then comes in for the final or no the final climatic, he, cinematic play. He caught the kickoff for the third quarter. He caught the kickoff. Yeah, that's where he yes, got okay. <laughs> and, that, and that's what yeah. yeah they, he spears him from behind him. seven seconds after the play is over. They just call a personal foul. He gets to stay in the game. He also pushes the Germinator down after that's over. Well, he goes after the officials. Like, wait, what? It's like, <laughs> okay, you can't have it both ways. I understand you want to, you know, plead your innocence. And you know what? Good on Kevin O'Shea again. Going like, you know, hey. You, you and your kid do that again, like, you're out of here, I don't care. Like, we're, we're not going to well, win Well, let's not one. give him just, too much credit, because he was still, like, he can stay in. He's still in the game right <laughs> oh, no, now still after that him. vicious yeah. play. But if he does another one, no good. Which, by the way, questioning uh, some of the game plan of Kevin O'Shea's Cowboys, they have a 21 nothing lead and a running back that is literally dragging 11 tacklers every time he carries the football they can't hold on to that lead. Like the offense went that poorly in the second half that they don't score again with a kid who legitimately like spike had to be 14 in that movie. If all the other kids are, which by the way, how old are they supposed to be? Cause Debbie has the line that even the 12 year old girls think that junior Floyd is a Fox. So I'm guessing they're supposed like, to be like 10. I, I never played peewee football, but I'm guessing it's supposed to be around there. I think it's like a little league type of thing. So yeah, like 10, 11 
but I guess they're not 12, but they all look like they're about 14 to 15. Spike looks like he has a driver's license. So the maybe not my favorite scene, though I, I do like the, the interaction when the Madden cruiser pulls up. So there's the moment where the little giants are being pulled apart because Spike joins the team and then gets pulled off the team because I don't know, Kevin just claimed his territorial rights because his dad, you know, wanted his son to play for the better coach, wanted him to play for Kevin. So he, he brings him in. The team splits up, much like in the Mighty Ducks, where you know they find out that Bombay was a hawk and they, you know, boycott the game and then they have to forfeit and they all go to detention together and they have to rally together. In the Little Giants, Tad, Rad Tad Simpson is riding his bike. And John Madden pulls up in the Madden Cruiser because he's going to Canton, Ohio, which makes sense because I'm guessing Urbania is on the way to Canton, Ohio, and he's lost on the bus. He does like the Telestrator thing on the map, which was absolutely brilliant. But they show up at the the clubhouse at the gas station, and John Madden has four of the all-time greats in the NFL with him. He has Bruce Smith, he has Emmett Smith, he has Tim Brown, and he has Steve Entman. To quote Tim Taylor, one of these is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong here. Now, I always thought, I was like, oh, okay, Steve Edmund, like... Uh, you had to you get know, a lineman in there. Well, I mean, you had Bruce Smith was an edge rusher. He would have been considered just an edge back then. I mean, he wasn't a, he wasn't a linebacker, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but... So I always kind of wondered, like, okay, Steve Edmund, did, did they just needed, like, an offensive line? Because I was in my head. Steve because, was, yeah, I think they just needed an offensive lineman to inspire, to tell, uh, tell the boy, heck, hey, football is 80% mental and 40% physical. And, and he's great. Like, I love, like, him lining up with him. He puts his hand in the dirt, and he's got, like, the skull tattoo on his hand. Yelling then, at like, him. Get the fear out yeah. of your eyes. Let's go. He's awesome. He, he's outstanding. You could make a case his interaction with the kids is better than the other one. The Bruce Smiths is really good when he like flexes. He's like, show me your game face. And he flexes. He scares the kids because pops the Bruce ball Smith, with yeah. his flex. Yeah. Bad things, man. Bad things. Emmett Smith kind of gives this like starter commercial speech about, you know, and emotional. I and I remember yeah. the moment just hating that he said, Deep down inside, I knew I was a giant. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to have to get to your feelings in, in a minute because you have to have some feelings with this movie being, being a Cowboys fan. Uh, by the way, Tim Brown doesn't really get, I'm sure there's a deleted scene where he's like teaching the kids how to run or something. Come you know, on, hot school. hands. But yeah, exactly. He's, doing, he's, he's running route, road tree with, with hot hands. Uh, Tim Brown is wearing like hot pink warm-up pants i've never yeah. noticed it till this like meeting he's wearing like a cranberry polo shirt 90s early pants. 90s oh they are are magnificent so i did a deep dive into steve entman because i in my head i was like oh offensive lineman i'm sure he's probably like pretty good at that time he's a colt no one really knew uh i didn't know this i kind of pride myself on knowing a lot of just a lot of things Steve Emmett was the number one pick in the 1992 NFL draft. Full stop. The number one pick. In my head, he was like the Colts' first round pick. 
even when I read his Wikipedia, it said he was the Colts' first pick. Or the Colts made him the first pick in 1992. I'm going, okay, he was a first-round pick. So I look at the draft list, and I scroll down, and I don't see him. Why? Because he was at the top. Steve Entman was defensive end and defensive tackle, did not play offensive line, for the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts had picks one and two in the 92 draft. And Steve Entman was the number one pick. Yeah, I mean, so, hey. It, it's it's. I did not know this. Line play was big then. <laughs> they took a linebacker uh, number two. I had it written down here somewhere again. Oh, uh, Quentin Coryat. They took him as a linebacker number two. Um, it, I didn't know this, so it makes more sense. The movie came out in ninety four. I'm sure they shot it in ninety three. So they said, "Hey, we've got three future Hall of Famers and the number one pick in the most recent draft." Sure. Anyway, looks like okay. Spike, Icebox, both 12 years old when they shot this. I would have thought Spike was... I would have said 14 minimum. He was Danny Almonte. Though some of them, like, the Germinator was only, like, nine. Okay, that that makes more sense if they're all... <laughs> if more way underage than all of them being, like, having their driver's license. Um, by the way, Steve, Steve Edman, just to finish that thought, uh, seven years in the league. He uh, played nine games with the Colts in 92, just five games in 93. Uh, didn't start a game. He played in four games in 1994. Played a full season in 95. Uh, he ended up moving on. He was a, a Colt for just four years, two years in Miami. Finished up with one year in Washington. So pretty, he had an interception as a rookie. So I think, you know, they filmed the movie. They're like, hey, we got this young guy. We'll, we'll work him in there. Maybe he's, he's a young stud. Really wasn't, but hey, Steve Entman. Devin Sawa, who played junior, he was 15. He was three years older Holy than Spike. <laughs> he was three years older than Spike. <laughs> and refrigerators. 90s heartthrob, JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, was out for this role. Got beat out. Ooh, I don't see Jonathan one. Taylor Thomas throwing a football. It's tough because so like home improvement, which I was a huge home improvement, but watched it many times, including I watched the full series, I don't know, two years ago. Um, yeah, don't really see him being the quarterback, but I mean, they did throw the ball around on home improvement, but yeah, you're right. Having the 15 year old being the one throwing the ball, which by the way, peewee football, like they're not throwing high school football in the state of Maine. They're not throwing as much as, <laughs> as the little giants did. Huh. So having like a pass first quarterback, probably not the way to go. Well, when he's three years older than everybody. Well, that's You just got to get it out there like 10, 15 yards. Sledding. You know, I mean, can we just throw this out there too? Just quick aside, I don't want to put this out there, but uh, Johnny, when Johnny finally gets a handoff there, I okay. mean, Johnny might be, he now, might be Christian McCaffrey. I will put myself out there, especially like post having kids. There are certain Disney movies a lot of which get me a little emotional now as a parent. And I'm sure there's probably some deep seated stuff I need to talk about with a therapist. Kids movies, certain kids movies. You want to to do an episode off season? We can do it here. I I don't know. But when I was (laughs) watching this, watching this recently and he gets the handoff and like, just run to him. And his dad runs out. He's like, dad, 
and he makes it all the way to the end zone and runs into his dad's arms. Got me emotional. Gotcha. Got me a little bit. It was a good run. It was a really good run. I mean, his dad's never around. Makes it in for the big game. He knew. His dad's paying attention. He's not a deadbeat. You can't be a deadbeat in this movie. Well, you can for about 98% of it. Well, that's true. Show up for a final 1%. What do we think... Like, what were the futures after this movie? Like, what are the football careers of kind of the best players in this game? I think it's very much, you know, probably like Little League World Series. Where like, oh, maybe a couple of the kids go on to play in college and, you know. You know, Spike obviously has a good chance of probably continuing to play. Also okay, possibly so getting in trouble and being in uh, a detention center. 100%. So I'm going to say, so if these kids are supposed to be like 11. So that means, and this is 1994. So we're going to say that they go to college in like 99. Spike's going to Miami. And I don't know if Spike's going to be a running back because they would have just lost Edger and James. Clinton Portis was coming in. Frank Gore was not quite there. I think he more he morphs into like a linebacker. I see. I think he either plays linebacker or maybe like he plays safety opposite either Sean Taylor or Ed Reed. He's like the the second safety next to them, or he's playing lined up outside linebacker next to like Jonathan Vilma at Miami. And oh yeah, he gets arrested like nine times. But he probably also gets drafted in like the fourth round. Pop for steroids, no real NFL career, but probably won like a Fiesta Bowl. Quite possible. I think think Junior Floyd is very much kind of like Lance Harbor from Varsity Blues. I can see it. Blonde hair. He's running the high school. Oh, yeah. Everyone loves he, him. He either goes to like Miami of Ohio, which actually, if he goes there in like say ninety nine, that's right when like Roethlisberger's getting there. So maybe he gets into quarterback controversy, transfers. Couldn't you just see? Well, I don't. Could that be like Carson? Pa- I could see him going to like USC, Junior Floyd, USC quarterback. But he's there with like. Castle and Carson Palmer and Matt Leinart and but maybe he is like Matt Castle, like doesn't really get to play a lot in college. Still makes it in the NFL, has like a twelve-year career, but you're not real sure if you've ever actually seen him play football. Mm. Now he's an analyst. He there's no question. Junior Floyd is an analyst for like Saturday college football on Fox or one of those obscure like Big Ten Network channels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Pac-12 network, or yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, 100%. You turned it on, and you go, oh, hey! Like, I feel yeah, like yeah. I could go out now and put on my resume, like, oh, play-by-play on the Pac-12 network, and people just, okay, I believe yeah, that. Yeah, no one's seen it. No, one, no idea. Yeah, not going to do the research on that. But I think that's probably, those are the two two kids. I'm going to say that the Cowboys quarterback, I, I think the underrated hit Briggs, sure. I think he plays quarterback. I, I think he plays quarterback somewhere. I think I, he grows into it. He was small. Nowhere big, but like, you know, 
Could he go to like Alcorn State? Maybe mm. it was like a TCU. Rice. But yeah, I don't see like huge a, a football careers big... for like Rad Tad. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe Zoltek. Zoltek had a knack on the line. He he. Well, I mean, if he grows into that body, I mean, his dad was what the the sausage king of of Urbania or whatever. They showed that van. So, I mean, he, he could have been like a tackle somewhere. Uh, I think Hanan absolutely plays like D2, maybe three. No, I think he just – that was the I, best he, catch he, of his career, <laughs> and he doesn't have many others. Oh, no. I, I think it launches him into playing for like – We were talking about this today. SUNY Maritime. We were talking about this today in our open gym for our – the high school girls basketball team, you can't teach hands. We we're talking about this today. <laughs> you can't teach hands. You can't really learn hands. You either have it or you don't. Oh, sure. No, no. You you, you get Hane in a jugs machine. Oh, yeah. And, and he walks away with that, two black eyes. <laughs> this is an 11-year-old that turned to stick him. Like, this, that's the level of dedication this kid had. It wasn't even stick him. It was like concrete. It was stick him. It was like concrete. That's what Stickum was. Like, go go look up pictures of, like, you know, uh, any of the receivers and or safeties and corners for the Raiders in the 70s. Like, Lester Hayes just loaded with Stickum all over his socks, his jersey. Which also... Litnikoff just covered in it. Right there with uh, the Spike personal foul. How is Hot Hands staying in the game when he's absolutely coated? With stickum on his hands, oh, the ref I, I tries to take the ball from him and can't. <laughs> the ref like has to put his leg in his chest for leverage to rip it out of his hands. His what, jersey, what his jersey is completely black from <laughs> all the stickum when his hands get stuck on his chest. Let a lot what go. These refs let a lot go in this battle of Urbania when Hanan misses the catch because his hands are stuck together because he claps in the huddle and then they stick to his jersey and he runs down the field trying to pull him from his jersey and he finally like the ball like hits him in the head and he hits the ground he's like half unconscious and Spike says you're the best player on our team and somehow his heartbeat shoots his hands exactly just like a like a heartbeat he does it like three times just like showing he's alive but I don't know for some reason that always tickled me like a Looney Tunes so we haven't talked about the ice box like at all, and she's kind of the main character of the movie. Yeah, I would say so. It we it, it, like it's a progressive choice, and and mm-hmm. Rick Moranis. We, we said this off air. You're like Rick Moranis, his role as, as Danny O'Shea. I mean, good for him for like sticking up for. By the way, Kevin couldn't pick four more kids for the football team. Like he he took he takes everyone during tryouts. He leaves four kids, including his niece. He just can't put those four more on the team. Like we could have avoided like all of the issue. He's just like, okay, you guys are like reserves on the team. Done and done. It's even Hot Hand says it. Just like all I want is just one of those jerseys. Yeah, <laughs> or no, I think Rad Tad age, said that. He just wants one of those shirts. Yeah, that's right. Hanan wanted the big eight eight. He wanted yeah. Michael Irvin's number. Um, because at that age, all you want is a uniform. That's that's it. Like you want to be on a team, have a uniform. Yeah. You, you want to ride bike, your bike fine. wearing a wearing the team helmet. Sure, hundred percent. 
Um, no, I like I like the whole like you know Becky can play with the boys. Like she's laying out guys in practice. She's the most physical. She's the one that they fear. Like kind of a progressive choice. Like I think uh, <laughs> if anything plays, but be- you know as well in 2023, if they were to say like redo this movie, like that's what they're gonna be like. Oh yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, like Mighty Ducks had you know a couple girls on the team, scored some goals. Connie sure. was in all three Connie movies. Merle. They had the figure skater. I'm blanking on her name. She was only in the first movie. She was. With Danny uh, Tamborelli, who was... Danny Tamborelli's sister. Yeah. But they picked uh, up Julie course, the Cat Gaffney from Maine. Maine. In uh, D2. But, yeah, never quite the huge focal point, obviously, that Icebox was. And you get the great moment when... Junior gets speared by Spike after the whistle. Just saying it again. And she just slams the pom-poms down. Goes in, gets her pads. Lawrence Taylor's number. Big five, oh, yeah, six. So well done. Still wearing the cheerleader skirt. Over, like, pants or spanks or whatever. And just comes out of the tunnel. And just everybody knows, like this whole town clearly knows that Becky O'Shea is a huge deal. So once again, doesn't shine well for Kevin keeping her off the team when clearly the entire town knows she's an absolute weapon. Comes out, crowd goes wild, Spike's dad's like, hey, what's that cheerleader doing with the helmet on? And Kevin just goes, that's no cheerleader. That's my niece, Becky. She's pissed. Not only does she come out and run this, like, again, Lawrence Taylor monster back defense that, that Danny masterminded, which, by the way, I mean, the fact he shut out that offense in the second half, I mean, Danny might be the best defensive mind in early 90s football. I mean, all, he, all told, I mean, he was. They'll watch that movie. Does Danny ever actually call a play outside of the sweep to the Viper? No, no, he, he has the nerdy kid do it. Right. Like that's why he hired. He hired the nerdy kid that invented the annexation of Puerto Rico. But not only does Becky, which to settle the argument, she's the best player in the game. Junior only really plays quarterback. He tries to return kicks, kind of injury prone. Spikes a running back. He does hit Becky, but he also hits Becky when she doesn't have the ball on the fumble ruski on the final play. But not only is Becky playing linebacker and just an absolute menace on defense, she plays quarterback when Junior goes down and leads them from down 21 nothing to a 28-21 win in the big game. Like, rallies the troops. I feel like it's overlooked. Rallies the troops when they're down. Like, we can't stop him. He's too big. Just grabs their hands. Everyone holds hands. We can do it together. All of us. And they do. They do. And they do. Becky the Icebox O'Shea. Perhaps one of the best kid sport movie performances in one half. Oh, 100%. Just in one half. I feel like she gets docked a couple points because, like, this whole thing is her idea. Like, she creates the team based off of something like her dad alludes to, she creates the team. She gets him in too far that he can't quit and not have the team because he can't disappoint the kids and then changes her mind last second because she has a crush on junior that, Oh, by the way, I'm going to become a cheerleader now and take my quote unquote gender role 
and I'm not going to play football, even though this whole thing is my doing. And then changes her mind and does the right thing, which I get creates more drama, but at the same time, like you also abandon your team in the first half. Can't be overlooked. I'm sorry. I wish it could be, but I, I can't overlook her abandoning the squad. You saw what her... What, but leads like them to victory, team, so... They were talking trash to Spike through the uh, through the vent, which, is, by the way, that's a great scene when the Cowboys are having a team prayer, which <laughs> when, when they're they're trying to quiet him down so that the the minister can can do the team prayer, or the priest is standing there. <laughs> He's like, "Shut up for God's sake!" It's like, "Oh, Kevin," and then yeah, it's like, "Hey, that's right, Spike." The icebox is going to defrost you. And then you just cut to Spike, who is like a pit bull on a leash, snarling. just snarling and growling and trying to run out of the room while his dad holds him by the collar. Yeah. Then they find out Becky's not playing and they're all just deflated. Like, well, that's it. We're going to like, I'm moving to Mexico. Death shrouds. I'm moving to Mexico. They got yeah, your that, names on the back, what, so the guys at the morgue can identify the bodies. Which, by the way, great vision by Danny that he uh, put the nicknames on the back. Way better. Way yeah. better. I don't know. I, it was a fun rewatch. It had been a few years since I'd seen it. It holds up. It, it, it's the, the term feel-good movie is thrown, thrown around about a lot of these, but... That one really is. And to me, it almost like holds up better than some of the other of a genre because the football plays. Mm-hmm. Like I, I find the football like, oh yeah, no, it's it's kind of more interesting than... Yeah, and like you said, some it's, of the other you know, ones. you get the girl being the star, making it happen, translates well. There's very little, you know, things to look at. They're like, ooh, that's not great. 20 years later. Well, I also kind of like to, excuse me, 30 years later. Oh God, you can't. Yeah. That the thing I like too, is that they don't, they give you the happy ending, the predictable happy ending, but at the same time, they didn't go over the top and like have icebox and junior, like, you know, they, they're, they're celebrating the end. They're kind of like holding hands and celebrating, but there's no like dramatic kiss or anything. Cause it would have felt so like, Oh yeah, I, Though, I wasn't sure I wanted to date you, but you here's tackled what, Spike. So that is a I'm point that I had marked down. <laughs> so you go through this huge thing. If you're Becky, you know identity crisis. Do I have to be the cheerleader? No, I can just be me. You have this moment at the end of the game where you're jumping up and down, looking longingly at each other, and then you look over and. Both of your parents are making out. How pissed would you be? Yeah, that's. Which, by the way, the the throwing out, because like, they, they alluded to this too, and that they straight up talk about it when you would expect a situation where Danny O'Shea is like a single father that they're going to say like, you know, when we lost mom or something like that. But when he has the heart to heart after she doesn't make the team, she just left. He, yeah, mom just laughed uh, yeah, when, when she made the decision that mom needed to leave. I'm like, whoa. So so who was this chick that just like looked at Becky and Danny and was just like, nope, got to go. 
that's that that's not again not a prototypical move we'd see like that feels more 2023 than 1994 is like oh yeah mom left us yeah oh there's not a lot of movies revolved around single dad whose no. wife just left and well right because in but usually that sympathy is drawn from like oh there was like something tragic right. happened not just yeah she moved to reno with bud yeah. Oh well. He's a, he's a salesman at Kevin Also, you know, really question Danny's business acumen after he wins the uh, car dealership he and trades it, it for a repainting of the water tower. Yeah, but that's kind of, I mean that's, that's it's the callback to the opening scene where he goes someday we're going to own this town. The O'Shea, you know, and he kind of like. Point to the water tower and probably more profitable to own Danny O'Shea Chevrolet. I like to think in my head that they like merge the two of them together. So it's like a uh, service station. O'Shea brothers. Yeah. O'Shea O'Shea brothers Brothers Chevrolet Chevrolet and fuel or something. Yeah. All right. That was a fun one to go back to. And we talked about maybe going on a little run here of just, Great kids sport movies from our childhood mixed in with, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. <laughs> we might have to jump into there, there's been like, I think I've seen the argument made a few times, but we may have to try to settle this one uh, that it feels like people who are, are in this arena of the early night. We need a name. It's, it's the golden age of like kids sports movies is what we grew up with from like 90, whatever, 91 mm. to like 96 whenever D3 yeah. came out. They're pretty much they're um, all animated now. Right, they just animate them all now, but like we grew up with with that era um that it seems to be the sentiment of people who kind of believe that they're at like a higher level of appreciation for these movies. It's the cool thing to say that Little Big League is better than The Sandlot. After The Sandlot has really been like lauded for you know, most of the last whatever 30 years since it came out. Everyone who's like, no, no, no. If you're really a baseball fan, you like Little Big League better. I don't know. We we may have to that that may be a segment where we compare Little Big League Rookie of the Year and Sandlot, and do like a a three three man round robin where we try to come up with like the defense something like that. We get may, maybe we get creative with those three. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like I thought of it last night. We're recording this on Wednesday, the fifth. So last night, took the kids to the fireworks, and they're going off, especially around finale time of the show. And in my head, I thought, because it's right, we were at a park, softball field, and I'm like, we should be playing a game on the softball field. The one night where it's bright enough, where we can play a night game. Just enough light for a game. Yeah. No, I dig that. Like, and I go back and forth. Each time I watch one of those movies, I go, oh, yeah, this one's the best. No, wait. No, this one's the best. Right. Each have their know. little it's, nitpicks, you know. We got. We, I think we got to talk it out. Maybe, Tom, yeah. that's... Tricking, maybe, <laughs> tricking and making out with a lifeguard while you hold her head again. <laughs> Hasn't aged super well, but, you know. But, hey, he kissed a woman, he kissed her long, and good. She knew what she was doing. I don't we think she did. Cool forever that day. 
Yeah, I, I think we need to talk this out. I, I think this is one we have to uh, d- deep dive onto, maybe all three. I don't know if it's next week, but it's going to be soon. All right. Make sure you're checking out Sterling's Columns on the uh, social media pages, Facebook, Uncommon Media VT. You can find them always posted up there. Check out the rest of the podcasts, Uncommon Deeds, New England Motorsports, No Fouls, Vermont Basketball. If you have any suggestions, anything like that, you send us an email, UncommonMediaVT at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we will be back next week right here on the new sports order.